0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Moradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us now is Byron Callan of the independent Washington research firm, Capital Alpha Partners, uh, with a look on whatever is on his mind as well as the week ahead. Byron, thanks very much for joining us.
1: Pleasure as always, Vago.
0: Uh, it's always great having you on to uh, take, a, take a look ahead and uh, find out what's on uh, your mind. Another interesting uh, note, Now, obviously a very, very busy week. Uh, but before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage, Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report and our cyber coverage overall, and General Atomics and Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. Uh, Byron, uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, inflationary pressures, right? I mean, we saw last week uh, the report that we're at a 30-year high uh, on inflation. You've been on the program on a weekly basis, saying that you're not as concerned over uh, some of the structural uh, drivers of, of inflation, right? I mean, your contention is that this is a, a temporary bubble, as we've heard from the Fed and, and, and others, uh, that's coming in the wake of uh, soaring demand in the wake of a as as COVID recedes. Uh, but you're concerned that this could actually have implications for Build Back Better. Uh, the president's uh, signature $1.85 trillion, I think, is the number, although Democrats continue to negotiate it as the president uh, today signs into law the $1.2 trillion bipartisan uh, infrastructure plan that was, uh, that was launched. Talk to us about what your inflationary concerns are and specifically how they would affect uh, Build Back Better.
1: OK, well, you know, I'm not an economist, Fago, so I'm really relying on other people's observations and, and insights. But <clears throat> one person I think has written very well on this is a guy named Matthew Klein who has a newsletter called The Overshoot. And he's kind of in this camp that when you really look at the inflation data, um, a lot of it is still being driven by what he characterizes as these idiosyncratic factors that that are really related to the disruptions from the pandemic. And so, you know, there's a premise here that of course that um, as the pandemic abates, some of these factors that have been driving inflation should also uh, start to to, um, dissipate as well. And you you get back to a more normal range of expectations for inflation. But it has entered um, in a not too subtle way the the debate over what's going to happen next with the Build Back Better uh, Act, Um, a lot of finger pointing about the infrastructure bill, even though the infrastructure bill hasn't even been enacted yet. so I think what this does from a defense standpoint, you know, it, it's going to make the debate over build back better, more contentious, not that it wasn't already controversial, but you've seen Senator Manchin come out and say, wait a second, <clears throat> why are we going to add <clears throat> potentially more to the inflation fire? Even though I don't, you can argue that's not a fire going on here right now. But, um, and then what, what matters for defense is obviously, you know, the more all this stuff just kind of gets pushed to the right, we're probably going to be operating under continuing resolution, you know, another one at least through the end of, of, uh, of this year and maybe into next. And then we've got to see, you know, what happens with FY22 appropriations. And then the other thing that matters for some of the defense contractors is <clears throat> current law on the treatment of the R&D tax credit will end Um, and the companies will have to start going to five-year amortization of research and development expense, and that means they're going to be paying higher taxes. And uh, I I mentioned this, I think both Lockheed and Northrop Grumman talked about this, the potential impact that this could have on their earnings in 2022 and beyond. So, you know, like a lot of things in Washington right now, um, this isn't directly about defense, but defense ends up getting caught up in the uh, updrafts or downdrafts of all these other policy and, and budget debates. And um at the end, you know, it will impact defense fundamental expectations.
0: What what is the net I mean, uh, just just to recap for our audience what Lockheed and Northrop had to say, what what did they put a monetary value on what the adjustment means for them and their bottom line and how it would drive um, their priorities and their spending, right? I mean, each of the companies has been, um, you know, know—they—they—you know both of the companies talked about some challenges they're going to have in their aer- aeronautics sectors. Uh, and at the same time, um, you know, are, are returning cash to shareholders, right? Yeah. How, how, what did they say about the, the net impact and how it changes their capital allocation going forward.
1: It really wasn't going to be a capital allocation change. I think, you know, particularly in Lockheed Martin, they talked to um, Jim Takelet talked about the, the uh, you know, they were going to return cash to shareholders. Uh, um, frankly, a lot of cash to shareholders. I don't recall the precise numbers um, that that both companies offer, but, you know, it was Fairly significant, um, you know, not not you know ten or twenty million dollars. Uh, it was it was very much multiples of that. But I'd have to look and get the the specific numbers from their their conference calls.
0: Um, let me uh, take you. Uh, just, I mean, obviously, you're not an economist, but you do play one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Play yeah, one on TV. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you know, you stayed in a Holiday yeah. Inn last night, so you're you're uh, sh- sharper than the average bear. Um, if you look at the national economic data, it's remarkably positive, right? Wages are up. Um, the economy is, is really roaring. Folks are getting back out there. Uh, prices are elevated in part because, you know, supply chains that neck down are now starting to surge back up. Uh, obviously that's caused a, a chip shortage, for example, because many of the things that people wanna buy involve chips, uh, for, for example, and especially motor vehicles, you know, used cars, Uh, are in extremely um, high demand right now as well. How is it that people feel that the economy is so bad when the economy is actually doing better and more Americans have more money in their pockets and wages have gone up for the first time meaningfully in a very long period of time? So how come these two sentiments exist? Coexist simultaneously.
1: Well, it, it is. It's fascinating. I mean, you know, the other thing that's that's going on is, oh, the economy is so awful, but but you know, you have a record number of people who are able to switch jobs, and usually you're not able to do that unless the economy is really kind of humming along. But I've seen some data. Um, first, if you break down the the consumer confidence poll, it's remarkably negative. If you're a Republican, um, you know, you've got Republican sentiment readings that are back to you know, they, they believe the economy is as bad as it was during the 2008-2009 uh, financial crisis. Now, but I, I did see another uh, analysis, and I thought this was pretty uh, astute, where people don't like to have surprises um, through inflationary pressures. You know, your your income can't change as quickly, for example, as how much it costs for you to fill your tank, uh, your your uh, your tank on your car, or you know put food on the table for your family. So the the when you see these spikes in in prices, it really does have a dampening effect on consumer confidence. And as I said, I think you know this is going to be a really interesting issue getting into the 2022 midterms and then obviously the 2024 presidential elections. I just I'd I'd be very reluctant to um, straight line this right now and say you know we're we headed down uh, down the tubes because of all this inflationary pressure that's popped up. I'm I'm in that camp and I think it is going to be transitory.
0: But I mean, if you it, what's interesting to me from an inflation pressure standpoint, right? Wages were have been suppressed for a long period of time. They're finally going up, so that's reflected in pricing. But the way that pricing was controlled in almost everything was your 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 tube of toilet paper got a little smaller. You know what I mean? Nobody wanted to raise prices where we should likely have raised prices. Instead, we kept prices down by all sorts of substitutions, reducing quantities, making that can of soup or whatever else,
1: just a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. Right. I mean, so I'm not going to deny there, there, there isn't, you know, price changes and price increases. I guess I just, I do find it a little out of line with, you know, the, it, it certainly isn't anything that's putting a break on economic activity. I don't deny at all that it's causing some some stress and change uh, for, for people who, you know, a, a dollar change in, in uh, a gallon of gasoline is a big deal. But, you know, the backdrop is, okay, more and more places are raising um, the, the wages that they pay um so i don't know i don't know where to go with that
0: right um i and i i don't want to uh, spend too much time it. on it but it's but it's a, a, a fascinating sentiment although i do appreciate that for some people you know gas prices are are going up although uh you know there are people who also benefited uh from government spending and in, in all manner uh, of ways
1: right and taxes uh, you know i mean there, you've seen these affordability um indices you know it's in a lot of cities it's just you, you can't live on minimum wage and uh right. Rent and and afford uh um, you know, even your mass transit costs. So, right, it's not, yeah. Go ahead.
0: Well, no, I, and I was going to say, right. In some places, it's actually become cheaper to live in in major metropolitan areas, right. And and you could argue that that was necessary, for example, in certain places in New York, where, um, you know, rents rents were sky high. Let's uh, shift a little bit, right. You did a, a look between 1997 and 2021 of U.S. government. A government parity of spending rates right between, uh, you know, de- defense discretionary and, and all of these, you know, what, what did you, what, what did you find out by looking at this long survey uh, yeah. and, and long span and what it tells us about what we might want to expect in the future at a time when, you know, folks are, are talking about, Hey, if we're going to spend this much on defense, we can spend this much on non-defense. What did you find?
1: Well and I, I would have made exactly the same argument when the Democrats were pushing for parity with the defense spending increases uh, in in the um, you know 2016 2017 2018 when the budget control act was in place you know I think the central observation though is is this was data back to 1977 it's very rare to have parity in the percentage change in defense and non-defense spending in any given year. I mean, there are some years where defense has risen faster than non-defense discretionary spending, um, and there's some years when when the opposite is true. You know, the defense budget tended to rise more quickly during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and obviously, you know, you've had these two monster spikes in non-defense discretionary spending during the twenty, uh, the 2008-2009 financial crisis, and <clears throat> then um, the pandemic responses. So, uh, I just find that argument. I get it. It's a lever. You know, b- both sides have used it in the past, but it's it's it would be rare. And I probably not appropriate to just say, you know, for every dollar we spend on defense, we need to spend a dollar on non-defense discretionary, you know, you really have to step back and say, so what are, the, what are the relative needs and how are you going to prioritize those and just say it's got to be some formulaic, you know, if, if, you get, if you get five, I get five too.
0: Um, Let's uh, take a look at the week ahead, because it is going to be an exceptionally busy week, uh, not just uh, domestically uh, or in Washington, D.C., but also around the world with some great security uh, conferences. Uh, We had Peter Van Praeg of the Halifax International Security Forum join us for our Friday roundtable for what was a very thoughtful conversation. Obviously, Halifax convenes uh, next week uh, in the great Nova Scotian uh, capital of Halifax. Uh, Why don't you uh, give us a sense on some of the other uh, global events that folks uh, you think should be tracking?
1: Well, certainly the Dubai air show, although so far it's been fairly quiet for defense. There've been some big Airbus orders have been announced, but I think, you know, the fact that the Russians have brought their checkmate fighter, um, you know, we'll see what some of the response to that is. The Chinese have brought the L-15 Falcon, which is a kind of a light attack trainer airplane that I guess they're flying. It's significant after the Abraham Accords. You're seeing Israeli uh, companies exhibit at the show for the first time. And there really hasn't been much news on the F-35, although, you know, (laughs) you had kind of an agreement for the, the Senate, uh, uh, Senate, the Senate, Congress got the notification, you know, in the last couple of days of the Trump administration, but there still hasn't been a deal signed on the F thirty uh, five, a contract to sell out to the United Arab Emirates. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep watching and see what news may come out of out of that major Middle Eastern trade show. Um, there are a lot of think tank events. Atlantic Council is doing something on the space industrial base. CSIS has an event on the intersection between commercial space and national security. Um, And and there there are some hearings that, again, don't directly pertain to defense, but kind of have indirect implications in some of the issues we were talking about, about supply chain and, and rare earth elements that I think are going to be important really to kind of set that backdrop for where where defense is going. And then today on Monday, the CEO, chairman and CEO of Northrop Grumman is speaking at Brookings on the future of America's defense industrial base. So um, that, that'll be that. that the, the other corporate event, there are other, two other corporate events actually. BWX Technologies is holding an investor day in New York. On Tuesday in MTU, of Germany is holding their capital market stay in Germany. I believe that is on Thursday.
0: And uh, we should also point out, right, the Naval Submarine League uh, oh, has its yeah. annual symposium on uh, Wednesday and Thursday. I am a life member of the Submarine League. So I urge everybody to go and hear from the leadership of what is arguably one of the more important yeah, uh, NATO, you know, capabilities.
1: NATO Defense Industry Forum is taking place in Rome. Um, and then the-
0: 17th and 18th, that's right.
1: If you have IISS doing the Manama Dialogue uh, in Bahrain, uh, that, that also kind of overlaps with the Halifax Forum. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a very busy week.
0: And uh, is is that it or is there more on the list, Byron?
1: No, I, go, I mean, I'm just looking at my calendar. Center for New American Security has something with General Hynode of the Air Force. And I believe CSBA is also doing something on arms control uh, that kind of followed an event that they did last week on um, just kind of the broad strategic picture, but uh, there's also an event that the Arms Control Association is doing on China's uh, nuclear weapons programs and what that may mean for the broader strategic balance. Uh,
0: that's, that's right. What? The Arms Control Association is doing uh, a China New Year expansion uh, a panel on the 17th and CSBA on the 16th tomorrow. Uh, is going to be doing a, a history and future of arms uh, control, Byron. Always an honor and a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for helping keep us all informed and tracking uh, everything. And clearly, we're getting into the last weeks of the year or the working weeks of the year, and uh, everybody's trying to get their events in, uh, ideally more in person than than online.
1: Yeah, and I forgot, Fago, I mean, the other important thing is the Senate could be taking up the uh, National Defense Authorization Act uh, this week, but I'm sure if if Michael's on your call on Friday, he will keep everybody well informed about how that all went, if it happened.
0: Uh, we we certainly certainly will look forward to welcoming him back this week. Uh, do you have any expectations and any thoughts about you know what are what are you expecting and what are you
1: hoping to see? Well, no, I mean I think the really interesting thing is is some of the events that are going on, uh, you know, frankly in. Um, between Russia and Belarus and Ukraine, Poland, Lithuania, uh, you know, what what might be added uh, by Congress, by the Senate, to the National Defense Authorization Act to kind of signal uh, to Russia or Belarus, you know, are there additional sanctions or additional actions that are taken? Um, the administration has come out. I think it's pretty interesting some of the statements that Secretary of State Blinken has made, uh, particularly about uh, the the movement of these um uh, army battalion group units. uh and there's an Iskander battalion that also moved as well, too. But it's it's been a very, you know, they they put Putin on on notice in effect. And and I think, you know, maybe this is an aftermath from kind of the confidence in the United States after Afghanistan, but um, they seem to be messaging this pretty well, and I think uh, listening to something the Atlanta Council had this morning on this issue, and I think a point that was made is actually you have seen Putin kind of try and dial back some attention by uh, not pushing ahead with some military exercises that have been planned in the Black Sea.
0: And uh, any expectations on uh, the Xi Biden virtual summit today, no. later
1: today? Yeah, I don't know what to, you know, I think that's, it's good quite bluntly that the two are talking. Um, I don't think it's gonna, you're gonna see any breakthrough or major, major changes, but I, I think, you know, as a, our major competitor, um, we should have at least a dialogue and a couple of open lines, um, just to make sure that if something, you know, does get out of hand, uh, it, it can be contained and, um, and, and uh, not, not spin out of control into something that's more dire
0: keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Uh, Byron, thanks so very much for joining us. Always a pleasure.
1: You got it. Thanks, Fargo.
0: And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that.